Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Stocks and Savings podcast. I'm Andrea. I'm Jamie. And today we're going to talk about the state of the stock market. We're going to have a reduced episode. Yep, unfortunately I had appendicitis last week, so I actually had surgery on Friday and I'm kind of in the uh, in in the middle of recovering, so it's just painkillers getting me through this episode really. But we thought Let's still talk a little bit about the stock market and about the latest news. Exactly. We still wanted to give you your weekly dose of investing content. So let's take a look at some of the latest stock market news. But first, as a disclaimer, remember that nothing in this podcast should be treated as financial advice. This is for educational purposes only. Always do your own research and apply your own judgment when investing. Shares of social media and some digital ad companies tumbled on Tuesday after Snapchat issued a warning to investors that it wouldn't meet its own targets for revenue and adjusted earnings in the current quarter. In telling employees on Wall Street that the macro environment has deteriorated further and faster than we anticipated when we issued our quarterly guidance last month, Snapchat CEO Evan Spiegel sent a shock across the digital ad industry and sent investors running for the exits. Snapchat lost an astounding 43% of its value on Tuesday. Do you think this is an industry-wide problem or more of a Snapchat problem? Well, honestly, right now it's impossible to tell which of those it is. I think one thing to point out is that Snapchat issued guidance for its Q2 results that was 20% above Wall Street analyst estimates. So this means that actually Snapchat said we're going to have a good Q2. We're going to have a Q2 that's 20% better than most people expected. And now Snapchat are coming and saying, oh yeah, maybe, maybe it's not going to be as good as you thought it was. When you look at that, you have to think, did Snapchat just overestimate what their Q2 results would be. Exactly. And bear in mind that this is one month after they issued that quarterly guidance. How many things could have changed in one month? Yeah, I guess this is why they almost have to say that the macroeconomic environment has deteriorated further and faster than they expected, because it's only been a month. And so it's kind of embarrassing if anything else happens. But As with any bad news in this market, it really does send shockwaves and it sends shares plummeting. If we take a look at the trade desk, for example, which is one of my favorite holdings and probably one of my biggest holdings, that got hit and was down 21% on the news. Now, as a shareholder of the trade desk and not Snapchat, I know when Snapchat announced things because the trade desk always seems to get hit. But a pattern that I've noticed over the last year is... Snapchat released bad news, Trade Desk shares fall in double digit percentages, and then when the Trade Desk report their results, actually the Trade Desk do very well. So I think that we won't really know until these other digital ad tech type players start reporting their Q2 results, whether or not this is just Snap being poor on their guidance, or if it is a wider issue. And I think it's also worth highlighting that These companies are all different. They all do different things. Some of them are more impacted by stuff like Apple's privacy changes. Some of them impacted by Google's cookies. Some of them not impacted by any of that stuff. So I think it's fair to assume that some of them will be more impacted by certain macroeconomic factors than other companies. 
Airbnb's closing its domestic business in China, sources say. All mainland Chinese listings, homes and experiences will be taken down by the summer, but Airbnb will continue to maintain an office in the country to focus on outbound travel. Airbnb formally launched its mainland China business in 2016 and has faced mounting competition from domestic players. Stays in China have accounted for approximately 1% of the revenue for the last few years. Is this the right decision for Airbnb? What do you think? Well, I think it's a disappointing one for Airbnb because there's so much growth potential in China. And like many American companies, it clearly has struggled to crack the Chinese market. You're right, there is a lot of competition from their local players and it it has been tough for Airbnb to compete. And obviously, over the last two years where we've had lockdowns and where we're seeing new resurgences now of lockdowns in places like China, I think this has clearly been a massive headwind for Airbnb and you know any other company. So they're probably already a couple of years behind schedule. And now, now that things are normalizing a bit more, they're still struggling with the competition. But on the plus side, Airbnb is a business that has actually performed really, really well over the last few quarters and looks set to prosper going forward. As you say, China only made up 1% of their revenues. So when you look at the business and the effect it will have on the business right now, you won't see a big negative effect. The only thing that you will see is the fact that they will miss out on the opportunities that China holds going forward. It does seem like Western companies are having a hard time conquering the Chinese market. Yeah, definitely. Apart from Starbucks and Nike, I think. I think those are two companies that both did quite well in China, or both do quite well in China. And Tesla, I think. So a few have managed it, but I think quite a few more have failed. I think an interesting one is Shopify, for example. When it looked to enter the Chinese market, it actually partnered with JD.com. And this is a fairly new partnership, but taking that approach for American companies could well be the way forward. Yeah, taking advantage of local expertise and resources. In today's main segment of the podcast, we'll talk about the current state of the stock market. Wednesday will mark the 100th trading day of 2022, a year that's been setting a few records in terms of market turbulence. The S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average, two stock market indices in the US, are on track for the worst first 100 days since 1970. And for the Nasdaq 100, an index comprised of mostly tech stocks, it's the worst ever. Does this surprise you? I mean, we've only been investing for a few years now, so... In a sense, we don't necessarily know what normal is. And particularly over the last two years, they've been very abnormal years. But it almost makes me feel a little bit better knowing that this is the worst ever start to a year for the NASDAQ because it's felt really rough. And so I'm actually quite glad that it's not normal. I'm actually quite glad that this is the worst it's ever been because to me that says that, okay, it it hurts, it doesn't feel great, but I mean the worst start to a year ever would not feel great. So that's okay. Exactly. As you mentioned, this is in stark contrast to years 2020 and 2021 when the indices returned above average returns. Throughout 2020, many of the stocks that performed the best were those with technological innovations that helped companies and individuals adapt to the landscape of the COVID-19 pandemic. One such company is Zoom, that had been relatively unknown before the pandemic, but its products suddenly became emblematic of a world full of lockdowns and reduced mobility. I mean, I remember our weekly quizzes with your family on Zoom. 
I do Those were nice. <laughs> I do miss them, to be fair. I do Same. love quizzes. But many of such high-growth stocks topped out early in 2021. The ARK Innovation ETF that had many of these stocks had a whopping 156% return in 2020. It hit its all-time high in August 2021 and is now almost 60% down year to date. Ouch. Which I think it pretty much mirrors our portfolios. Would you like to talk a bit about your portfolio performance year to date? I mean, it's a good thing I'm on painkillers because <laughs> I guess that should uh, help me a little bit talking about my portfolio. It will numb the pain. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And let's face it, there's been a lot of pain for my portfolio. I mean, the ARK Innovation ETF is down what, around 60% from its highs. And whilst my portfolio doesn't exactly mirror that ETF, my portfolio does include a lot of you know, high growth, innovative, disruptive companies which are favoured by ARK Invest. And I know that your portfolio is similar. Yeah, and I even have Tesla. They used to be the fund stop holding. I think now, was it Trade Desk? No, Roku. Oh, Roku. Yes, of course. Hmm. I don't have Roku. No, I do. I do have Roku and I don't have Tesla. Hmm. So you can see there are some um, there are some similarities. And so it's no surprise that both of our portfolios have taken quite a big hit. I don't know exactly how far down they are it's quite difficult to track when you top up your portfolio every single month because it's not as simple as saying I had £10,000 at the start of the year and I now have £10,000 at the end of the year when the portfolio let's say has dropped and you've continued to top up so it's quite hard to measure but I would say that my portfolio is probably down around 30-40% since I started it a couple of years ago. So I'll claim that I'm outperforming the uh, the ARK ETF, but quite frankly, <laughs> that that's very little consolation. Um, so You're probably in line with the NASDAQ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So why don't we talk a little bit about why that is? Because I'll be honest, I'm not looking at my portfolio and, and, and just thinking, oh, the market's just being crazy and I did everything right because that that is most certainly not the case. I'm still learning and, and I'm sure and I hope I will continue to learn over the next few decades. But why don't we start with 2020 and 2021 and what was a pretty wild ride up for the stock market. Right, so if we think back to March 2020, COVID-19 was declared a global pandemic. Lockdown started everywhere. And the stock market crashed. And just to give you a bit of background, we started investing. When do we make our first investment? I think it was January. Yeah, probably January 2020. 2020. So we timed it perfectly just before everything started crashing and the world began to deal with the shock that was the COVID pandemic. In a sense, because we started investing, but we started investing with like 50 pounds. So. That's true. I don't know if that counts. We were just dipping our toes in the water. That's true. It's not it's not like it was the end of the world when things started to fall. But then again, it kind of felt like it. Yeah, but basically, we were all locked in our houses in March 2020 and the stock market crashed. But soon after, I think stimulus or like talks of stimulus started. Employees started working from home as well. And the stock market started favoring these new innovative companies like 
Zoom or cybersecurity firms or you know, digital advertising or telehealth. So on the one hand, economic activity as we know it or as you knew it stopped. But on the other hand, investors started putting their money in these COVID-proof stocks. Exactly, in these stocks that were COVID beneficiaries. Although it wasn't just those stocks that did well. I think one of the things that surprised many people, the stock market included, if, if we can talk about it like it's a person, was two things. I think on one hand, it was the levels of government intervention that was going ahead in order to try and, and help the economy not get hit too badly by these lockdowns and, and obviously central banks around the world. And I know that, you know, for example, the Federal Reserve in the US printed so much money, so much money to just try and help the economy stay afloat. Yeah, I think there was a graph showing that the money supply in the US increased more in like 2020 than it had a decade before or something like that. It's, yeah, some some crazy figure. I can't remember what it is. Or like a third was... of all money in circulation was printed in 2020. I think it was even more than a third. Was it, it? It, oh. was something, it was something crazy. But these steps were taken to try and help mitigate this issue. And then the second thing that I think took some people by surprise, and myself included, was actually how fast a lot of companies managed to pivot to remote working. Obviously, certain businesses, certain industries, such as you know travel or stuff like that, they didn't really have much that they could do. But for example, I, I worked at a telecommunications company and I already had a company laptop, which I'd taken home with me. And it was basically, right, do your work, but you know, you can work from home and we'll have calls over Skype and then Teams and, and you know, we'll, we'll muddle through. And we did muddle through. And now a lot of companies have been able to continue that remote working or hybrid approach to work because of how successfully they managed to put it off at the start of the pandemic. And I think that whilst economic activity ground to a halt in certain areas, there were other areas which were really, really unaffected, which was pretty impressive. Yeah, everything just migrated online. And this is more of a secular trend. It was going that way anyway, but the pandemic just accelerated everything massively. And obviously, the stock market rewarded the beneficiaries of that uh, migration to online. Exactly. Before you knew it, the stock market had gone from panicking because everything looked terrible to actually things are starting to look pretty bright for the stock market. Obviously, one of the biggest reasons for that success was the level of stimulus and monetary support from central banks pumping lots of money into the economy. Which I know some people disagree with this, but I do think it was the right choice to stimulate the economy at the time. Like, I don't want to imagine what would have happened if that wasn't the case. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's very true. And we'll, we'll go on to a little bit later what the, um, some of the more negative after effects of that are. But in terms of what happened back then, yeah, I, th I think it was important that they acted quickly. But I think one of the unusual things about the impact on the economy is that there were some people like us who were on, you know, fairly well-paid jobs. 
and we suddenly found ourselves stuck at home. We couldn't spend our money on anything. We were still getting paid the same amount. And so before we knew it, we had an incredible amount that we were fortunate enough to be able to save up or start investing. So there was us who were actually in a better position. And then we had all this stimulus in the economy on top of that already good position that we're in. And then there are other people who perhaps worked in the hospitality sector, the travel sector, the retail sector, who didn't have any job for a month or two or or three. And various governments around the world had to find ways to support those people. And we did it here in the UK through um, what the furlough scheme. Yeah, the furlough scheme, where I think it was something like 80% of wages or 60% were paid by the government. Yes, exactly, which, which was good. But at the same time, I think you're right. I think it definitely deepened some of that economic divide and inequality. On the one hand, probably the middle and upper class were doing better than ever, could save more. But then the less well-off were even worse off and struggling to make ends meet but as you say i think that kind of government intervention was needed because who knows what would have happened to millions and millions and millions of people if they did not have that support yes as as mentioned later on we'll go into detail about the downside to that level of intervention but it's very hard to look at that point in the pandemic and say the governments were wrong to try and prop up the economy and and to help people through this what should have been a short-term shock. So as we said, even though the stock market crashed in March 2020 and economic activity basically came to a halt because of the pandemic, the stock market, when I say that, I mean the S&P 500 in the US, actually ended 18% up in 2020. Now, for context, the average yearly return of the S&P 500 historically has been around 10%. So that's almost double that historical average. It's crazy. Was the stock market out of touch with the economy? Or what? what actually happened? I mean, so that's a very good question. And that's what a lot of people were asking was, is the stock market reflecting what's actually happening on the ground? in the economy. Exactly. Because if you look, the world economy in terms of GDP took a hit in 2020. And the stock market is meant to reflect economic activity. But obviously, there there were these two kind of opposite images that we were seeing. Exactly. I think that uh, recovery from the stock market was merited based on the fact that the government was trying to support people to stop a, a catastrophic crash in the economy but also due to the number of businesses that managed to adjust very, very quickly. Obviously, the likes of you know, Deliveroo and Uber Eats as well helped restaurants to survive. And obviously, people like us actually ended up with more money, so we were able to spend on those small luxuries. Yeah, on Deliveroo especially. <laughs> exactly. Was, oh, uh... my God. And all the subscription boxes that existed, I ordered. So I think it's fair to say the economy wasn't in as bad shape as was feared initially. But then the stock market didn't just recover, it flew. I mean, as you say, it ended up 18% up for the year. And not only that, but in 2021, it went on to have a return of around 27%. I mean, that's incredible. I guess the next question is why? 
If we look at something like the ARC Innovation ETF, we can see, what was it? Did you say it was 150%, 156% up? Yes, yeah, in 2020. In 2020. And then it went on to gain a bit more in 2021. So the question is, why did this ETF soar 156%? This is from, from January. You know, not, not from its lows in March, from January to the end of the year. And that's when I think we have to start talking a little bit about bubbles. You know, everyone, I'm sure, is aware of the famous dot-com bubble back in the late 90s, early 2000s, when lots of tech stocks absolutely soared and then came crashing down because everyone was getting very, very excited about the internet and its potential, and then they realized that actually some of these businesses were just kind of talking about the internet and not actually making much of a difference. And so we have to wonder if there was a bubble here as well. And also what caused that bubble? Because I think this, again, is probably as a result of the stimulus from some central banks. I mean, the, the phrase don't fight the Fed exists for a reason. Yes, when you increase the money supply in the market, that effectively means that people have more money that they have to do something with. Now, bear in mind that at the time, interest rates were at all-time lows, probably, virtually. Probably. I think that's fair. So people would want to get a return with that money. But when you can get about 0.1% return in a savings account, probably a similar return in, a, in the bond market, then people's attention would be drawn to stocks. And that phenomenon has been going on for a decade really, since the financial crisis and the Great Recession of 2008. People have been putting more and more money into stocks and taking more and more risks in the search for a higher return than basically 0.5%. Exactly. So there were all these policies to encourage, almost, people to invest in the stock market. And as well, there were companies that were putting up very impressive numbers, Companies such as Teladoc or Roku or Shopify or basically any company that benefits from the shift to digital was doing incredibly well and posting astounding growth figures. And I think where everyone went wrong was they saw these growth figures and they just thought, this is going to continue. This is a new normal. This is this is a paradigm shift and these companies are going to grow like this for years and years and years and everything's going to change and to be honest you know it's not just tech companies because of this stimulus because of the government's poor people did actually have more money in their pockets and particularly as you say middle class people or people that were able to work from home that were already on decent salaries they had money that they could spend on luxuries like i don't know teslas Surely, they probably did a little bit of shopping and treat themselves to a few luxuries, but you can only spend up to a point, really, especially when you're not able to um, get out of the house. So a lot of that money was ultimately saved or put into the stock market. I think before we go on to talk about what happened after the peak, when the optimism turned to pessimism, maybe we should just talk a little bit about what it was like for us and I'm sure for, for many other new investors buying stocks and starting investing over this period of a year where the stock market did nothing but go up. So for us and many other investors, that was the 
first encounter with the stock market. And I remember the memes on the internet at the time with stocks only go up. And that was pretty much the feeling. We thought that valuations don't matter because these high growth companies are going to be the future. And as such, they will continue to increase in the long run. But I guess, even though we said in the long run, we were really thinking in the short run, I think. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I definitely got a bit, you know, taken aback when these high-flying stocks started falling around mid-2021. Just like, surely this cannot go on for much longer, right? Right? And here we are (laughs) in almost mid-2022, and we don't think we've uh, hit the bottom yet. (laughs) But yeah, you make an interesting point in valuation because it's it's true. We didn't pay as much attention to valuation as we should have. We, we I mean, we paid quite little attention over that period. And I don't just want to defend us, but I think that was almost understandable for a couple of reasons. I mean, the first one is we were completely new to investing, so we were still learning and figuring things out. The second thing was that the type of companies that we were interested in, which I think is always going to be, at least for the next decade or two, we're always going to be interested in companies that are innovative and that have a bright decade-long time horizon ahead of them. Yo, those are companies that we're naturally drawn to, and those are the companies that were getting crazily priced. So Exactly, and those are the type of companies that investors have very high expectations from them, and very high future earnings are already priced in the stock price. But as you said, because we have a few decades ahead of us before we think about retirement, then we thought that, and we still think that we are able to weather all those fluctuations in price. Exactly, which I do think is true for the most part. But I think the problem was in 2021, prices got way ahead of themselves. And then one of the third things that was tough for us, is maybe where we were learning from. I think David Gardner is brilliant. I, I've, I've learned a lot from him, but his view is basically that when it comes to innovative and rule-breaking companies, the valuations don't matter. And this view has served him very, very well, and he has done extraordinarily well as an investor. But I think it was just unfortunate timing that when we were listening to these podcasts and listening to that advice it happened to be at a time where valuations were getting pretty out of control i can see that you don't necessarily agree with me there well i still don't think that valuation is the single most important thing no no I, I, agree. I agree so you know even if i am to put myself back in that situation with the things that i know now I'm thinking, should I have stopped from buying certain stocks because of the valuation was crazy? Probably not, because I'm still happy that I invested my money and I gave it the chance to grow. And I did so in companies that reflect my best vision for the future, as David um, Gardner would say. And for most of these companies, I am going to continue to invest in them, even at the current prices. So hopefully, over time, by investing regularly, I will be able to take advantage of both the highs and the lows, and I will achieve an average price 
that will be just right for me and that will still enable me to enjoy that long-term growth. Which, in fairness, I guess is what he preaches. Exactly. You know, he, he, he says to uh, buy on a regular basis every couple of weeks. I think, yeah, I think he always says, like, not to put all your money in at once. His results speak for themselves, but I think that it was just another voice that made us think that valuations were perhaps not as important and we paid less attention than we should have. I think the problem is that a lot of investors that have started in the last few years and have started like us in investing in these um, high growth individual stocks have maybe been a little bit spooked by the last year or Un- so. Understandably, because it yeah, has understandably been crazy. so. Understandably so. But I think a lot of them have got out of these positions at a very bad time. They realize their losses and potentially won't be able to take advantage of these lower prices that would enable them to benefit from that long-term price appreciation. That, that, that is true. If you buy a quality company at its peak 2021 price, and if it is a truly high-quality growth company, then you'll feel a lot better kind of just consistently topping up over the next two, three, five, ten years, rather than panicking when the bubble pops and stocks and it falls 50% or 60% or 70% and saying, no, I don't like this game, I'm out. Um, but I think, when, yeah, when it came to our mindset when we were picking stocks in 2021, we were certainly in a position where we were looking around and just thinking, there is nothing that seems to make that much sense in terms of valuation. But then I kept thinking back on stories like Tesla, for example. I sold it in May 2020 because I couldn't justify the valuation. And I think it's probably returned six or seven times that in the year that followed. So it was very easy for me to say, well, clearly valuation isn't everything when it comes to these high quality growth companies. Um, So yeah, basically, it was a big learning curve in hindsight. But at the time, it just felt like stocks could do no wrong. But after that happened, well, when when the party is this massive, the hangover is pretty rough. And that is what we started feeling towards the end of 2021. In 2021, there was a shift in terms of the kind of stocks that were more appealing to investors. So for context, economic activity started reopening. And then we could also see inflationary pressures from the i word (laughs) from all that stimulus that we had the previous year and from the fact that people started going to work and uh, places reopened and all of that yeah i mean inflation is something that got bounded around quite a lot and you're probably sick of hearing it and, and have been hearing it for the last year but when you think of the situation you're in where the central bank's have supplied a lot more money into the economy where it became a lot cheaper to borrow money. And you also have a consumer that has spent a lot of time saving up who now want to go out and spend that money combined with supply chain problems, meaning that I'll go back to the example of something like Tesla, but used cars are a great example. Supply chain meant that there was a reduced supply. People having more money meant that there was 
even more demand, and so prices could just go up and up and up. And this is kind of what's behind all the inflation that we've seen. Initially, the central banks thought that this inflation would just kind of naturally go away. Yes, I remember the chair of the Federal Reserve kept saying that inflation is only temporary. And he said that quite a few times in 2021. But here we are. Inflation, what was 9% probably last time in the US and around the same in the UK. Um, So not so temporary after all. No, exactly. And as you said, part of that is because of supply chain issues. So the Fed and other central banks wouldn't necessarily have much control over that. And obviously the shocking war in Ukraine as well has also exacerbated issues with fuel. I mean, we're seeing petrol prices go really, really high. And I know there's also a wheat shortage going around now as well. So Yeah, because Ukraine is a net exporter of wheat. But yeah, in 2021, the world started reopening, economic activity started again, um, and we saw this shift in stocks that would benefit from this. Um, So maybe the travel industry, uh, maybe financial stocks such as banks that would profit from the world opening up, and people started selling the stocks that benefited from the pandemic, from lockdowns, and uh, from the kind of migration to online. Yeah, I mean, my portfolio returns peaked in February 2021, I think. So more than a year ago. So for over a year, I've been seeing my returns go negative. It's a tough thing to watch. But you're right. You think that, you know, the economy opening up again, everything looks bright. Okay, fine. Maybe there's a little bit less demand for these uh, digital companies, these digital first companies. But things can't be that bad. But... It all comes down to inflation at the minute. And governments and central banks, quite rightly, being afraid that inflation could run out of control. And as we kind of mentioned earlier on, one of the big causes of this inflation was the fact that there was so much stimulus back in 2020. Yes, and we've seen the central banks around the world started tightening, increasing interest rates towards the end of 2021, and now in 2022. Uh, That hasn't been enough to tame inflation so far, but this tightening of monetary policy has given a further blow to the stock market. It basically means when we talk about tightening of monetary policy, back in 2020, the monetary policy helped there be more money in the economy that help more people stay afloat. But when we talk about the monetary policy tightening, it's basically a way that these central banks can reduce the amount of money that is flowing around the economy. And therefore, there's fewer money for goods and services, fewer money for people to spend on luxuries. It reduces demand and in theory reduces prices. Yes, exactly. And they've also increased interest rates, which would mean that it's more costly for people to borrow and it would be relatively more beneficial to save as well. So in terms of the monetary policy side, the central banks are doing what they can to tame inflation. There are still the issues with supply chains. There's not an awful lot that can be done about that. But by tightening their monetary policy, what they are hoping to do is effectively slow down the economy. Exactly. And another effect that 
increasing interest rates has on the stock market is that it it impacts the valuation calculations of different stocks and high growth stocks would be more impacted by this than dividend stocks for example or value stocks so that's why i'm saying that this further tightening of monetary policy kind of gave the stock market and the, especially the stocks that we invest in another blow and when it comes to these high growth innovative companies often they can be unprofitable and if a company is not profitable this company will also suffer more when it comes to tightening of monetary policy now interest rates are rising and they're rising fast and what does this mean it makes it harder for these companies to borrow money to grow their business if a company isn't profitable or free cash flow positive i.e it's not able to sustain its own business using its own resources and, and it has to get I don't know, funding from shareholders or it has to get funding from the bank, it becomes more expensive for these companies to borrow money. And the interest rates are just going to continue rising for the foreseeable future. That means that actually these companies become at a greater risk of potential bankruptcy, particularly when that's coupled with the economy itself slowing down. So one of the ways that we've shifted or at least I've shifted my approach to picking stocks in 2022 is I've looked for more companies that are profitable and more companies that are at least free cash flow positive meaning that they can keep going about their business and they can sustain their own activities through the money that they bring in and they don't have to rely on external finance. Another type of stocks that have historically done well in inflationary periods are REITs or real estate investment trusts. These are basically companies that own and manage a bunch of properties and they distribute the rental income or the majority of the rental income to their shareholders and you can also benefit from price appreciation. Yeah, they are very handy little, uh, little investments. Yes. But I think one thing worth highlighting is that whilst we're constantly tweaking our investing approach, you'll never see really a big dramatic shift for us. No, and actually, I can't remember the last time that I sold a stock. Exactly. We're always <laughs> buying. I'm very reluctant uh, to sell stocks. I mean, if a stock hasn't done well and I don't particularly believe in it anymore... I would probably not add to the position. So, for example, that's Virgin Galactic. I probably have a couple hundred quid in it now, and I'm not interested in adding it a minute. But as a rule of thumb, I just rarely sell these days. I think I'm slightly happier to sell than you are. But again, if I do sell a company, it's to reinvest into another high growth company whose prospects I prefer the look of. So for example, I did sell shares in Virgin Galactic probably about, I don't know, a year or so ago because I was kind of fed up with their delays. I sold shares in Teladoc because I didn't like the fact that management seemed to be very, very poor at forecasting their demand and it, it didn't give me enough confidence in management that I would like. I sold out of my position in Zillow when they completely messed up their eye buying and I know these are three companies that we both owned and I think you still own all three 
I do. So it's two different, two slightly different approaches. But I think what we will always do in any environment is we will still focus on innovative, high growth companies. As I mentioned, back in 2021, we were kind of struggling a bit because these are the kind of companies that we liked and we were interested in, but their valuations were crazy high. Just to add to that, we do have slightly different approaches. So I do have a substantial amount in index funds as well, probably the same amount as I have in individual stocks. And I think that enables me to have that more stable part that I I know will probably go up over time because it reflects just the rate of innovation and technological progress in um, in the US or in the world. And then I also have the chance to outperform the index through my individual holdings of high growth companies. True. We do have that kind of approach that's different because I only hold individual companies. And yeah, I don't expect this approach to change over time. So back, back in 2020 or 2021, everyone loved these companies. Right now, everyone hates these companies. So many of these companies are down more than 50% from their all-time highs. And a lot of the news about these companies is pretty negative. So for me, this is a much more ideal time to be investing in those kind of companies. And I feel a lot happier paying the prices that I am paying today compared to the prices that I was paying in 2021. Exactly. I think there is a quote that says that real wealth is made during bear markets. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. And I think one thing that appears to be surprising Wall Street is that some of these companies that were real beneficiaries of lockdowns, real beneficiaries of the forced switch to digital, are now slowing down a bit. So for example, Fiverr is a company that I hold, really like it, and it grew very, very quickly in 2020 and 2021. And now in 2022, it's forecasting revenue growth of only, in air quotes, 16 to 23%. And I'm pretty sure Fiverr is down probably around 85% from its all-time high. Now, I think Fiverr kind of encapsulates everything that's gone on over the last few years pretty well because its share price shot up way above where it should have been. But right now, it feels like people are acting as if this is a company going out of business. But when you have that long-term focus, even during these crazy volatile times, you can just take a step back and say, right, what's the long-term vision for Fiverr? Okay, fine, their their growth is slowing this year. That makes sense because the world's opening up again. There's less of a demand for online services. Fine. But the long-term thesis of having more freelancers coming up, having more digital services being required, that is still very much intact. And it's important to always remember your long-term thesis for these companies, particularly when times are hard, and when share prices are down like they are now. Because as you said, real wealth is made in bear markets, and I much prefer the look of these stocks at these prices than I did a year or so ago. So we went from exuberance in 2020 to a bit of a wake-up call in 2021, and now to what resembles hysteria (laughs) in 2022. Now, what is one piece of advice or one tip that you want our listeners to take in from this whole podcast and that would help them for the rest of 2022? 
couple of things. First, understand that these last two or three years are not normal, particularly if you're new to investing. Understand that they are not normal. And as you mentioned, the start of 2022 is the worst start for the NASDAQ on record. That is not normal. So, so understand that. If, if you think this seems crazy, that's because it is pretty crazy right now. And secondly, if you're thinking of changing your investing approach, have a real think about why. Because it's very tempting to try and shift your investing approach from one trend to the other. It's very tempting to now go, oh, pe- people hate growth stocks. Maybe I should be investing in safe companies like mcdonald's or coca-cola but market sentiment shifts it always shifts there'll be time when growth does better there'll be time when value does better so don't try and pick your investing style based purely on on what the economy and what the market is doing at the minute personally i'll be sticking to the approach of trying to find high quality companies with a long-term growth runway ahead of them And I will invest in them every single month when I get my salary. Always think long term. I think one advantage that us individual investors have over fund managers is that we have a long time horizon. We don't have to report quarterly on our earnings. We don't have to report to our shareholders or our managers. We can just weather out these storms and hold high quality companies for a long time and subsequently benefit from this. So all we would say is just try not to go chasing the market because the odds are by the time you catch up with it, it will have changed direction. And know that you are certainly not alone. If you have experienced pain in the stock market, we have felt it too, believe me. But it doesn't then our belief that the stock market is the best place to build long-term wealth. And that is why we will continue what we're doing for decades to come. Please don't forget to rate the show. It would really, really help us. And also follow us on Instagram where we post daily investing and finance tips. Yeah, it would be amazing if you could leave us a rating, leave us a review. You know, I I did this with my painkillers and less than a week after surgery. So please take pity on me. Thanks a lot for listening and we'll see you next week.